Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore Podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. On this week's two part episode, we are joined by Martin McRae, Head of the Art Department here at Framestore. And joining us this week as guest co-host is Fern Hodgson, also from the art department in her role as production manager. This is another killer episode and is effectively our art department special of sorts, where we look under the lid of the art department and another incredible career in the VFX industry. So please pull up a chair, settle in as usual, and do enjoy episode 29, part one, of the Framestore podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Framestore podcast, episode 29. Every two weeks, we invite both a guest from our global Framestore community and a co-host with a keen interest in our guest's role, craft or career path, and we let the magic happen. On today's episode, I warm them up by inviting our guests to the Framestore podcast daily session, our 13-question grilling followed by Thursday's second part, where our co-host leads a deeper dive into why we invited them on the pod in the first place. Our special guest this week is Martin McRae, head of the art department here at Framestore. Martin really needs no introduction, but he's clearly getting one anyway. He began his career as a successful commercial artist back in the day, working for over a decade in advertising and publishing. His portfolio featured high-profile ad campaigns for brands like Coca-Cola, BP, General Motors, and book covers for authors like Tom Clancy and Patrick Robinson. A move to Framestore followed, where he's been for the last 23 years running the art department. He's been credited on huge shows that include, but are definitely not limited to, Blade Runner 2049, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, Guardians of the Galaxy, Beauty and the Beast, Avatar, Ready Player One, the list clearly goes on. Check out his IMDb if you want to find out more. And let's not forget his work on the original Walking with Beasts that continued to put Framestore on the map following Walking with Dinosaurs back in 2000. Fun fact, and this is, I don't know whether this is a fun fact, but to emphasize how groundbreaking his work was at the time, Martin was credited as Dinosaur Skin Designer, which I'm sure we'll get into in this conversation. Martin is also an accomplished composer of film soundtracks. And just yesterday, I was listening to a playlist on his website, martinmcrae.co.uk, whilst preparing for this podcast. And mark my words, it's bloody good stuff. So uh, check that out as well. Our co-host for this conversation is Fern Hodgson, production manager in the art department, an Escape Studios escapee and professional photographer, no less. Fern joined the team in the fall of 2016 and is the backbone of the art department, so I'm told. So for our art department special, it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Martin and Fern. Hello both. That was another, they get longer, these <laughs> these intros, honestly. And there's so much I could have thrown in there because we had a bit of preamble conversation before this where I got another load of nuggets about you both, but I'm <laughs> going to save them for this chat. But how are you? Thank you for doing this. Hello. Absolute pleasure. No, no, it, it was... Uh... I was so surprised to hear that 
actually wanted us to on this podcast. I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, you're, you're far too humble for your own good, Martin. Um, but it's it's great to have you on. And uh, uh, I was really taken genuinely by the uh, the job title dinosaur skin designer. Arguably, that's not a job title that exists anymore in industry, but a great one to be credited on. Yeah, no, it, it was something. Um, so when I when I joined Framestore, I basically um, was hired by Mike Milne and Sharon Reed at the time. And I was working uh, with Darren Hawley, who was at that time running the texture department. And Darren Hawley is the dinosaur export of the whole com- company. And I, I was working for him for quite a while, on, all the way through the uh, Walking Beast project. And um, yeah, we were designing uh, prehistoric creatures sort of, and textures mm-hmm. and uh, dinosaurs as well. There was, a, there was another um, dinosaur series, that, mini series that we worked on. So that's where that title came from. Wow, wow. And I really want to get into how you got into Framestore because coming into Framestore at that point in time, because everything I've heard from Mike McGee's kind of Framestore history talks that he does, and it's almost kind of like dinosaurs and that kind of era uh, put, put Framestore on the map in terms of uh, creature work. And and I'd love to hear, actually, if we can get into it now uh, about your uh, what it was like back then to be involved in that work, because uh, at the time it was hugely groundbreaking, right? It was shortly after, you know, just before Jurassic Park, arguably, but around the same time. It was, it was around about the same time. Um, yeah, no, I was. It was. It was quite amazing because I remember because um, before to get me into Framestore, I um, you mentioned at the start I was doing illustration. I did that for ten years, but hmm. um, towards the end of that, um, because of films like Jurassic Park, I um, I spoke to because I had an artist agent at the time. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to them about visual effects and thought how cool it would be to get into that somehow. And we actually set up a mini company um, and we bought a silicon graphics machine and we bought, at the time it was called Alias Wavefront Power Animator. It was before Maya came out. Wow, okay. And it was kind of self-taught. So I, we bought the software and I learned how to use it and we put a showreel together. And, and wow. obviously that company did nothing really happened with it. But I went to Framestore with the sh- the showreel I had and my portfolio, and I was really nervous because I mean you know I hadn't been done anything in the industry before um, outside just doing it ourselves. Mm. So to join Framestore at that time, just off the back of walking the dinosaurs, was mm. was quite intimidating. And what was Framestore's reputation like then? Because I've only been with Framestore less than two years, and I was aware obviously of Framestore, <laughs> but yeah, back yeah. then, I mean, it was still fairly new as a an entity, right? Well, it, it was in, in sort of this side of the of the pond because everyone knew about sort of ILM and what, mm. you know, and, and all the, the the stuff they had done when they started started off first. But like sort of Framestore, very quickly came up through the ranks, mm. and, and something like Walking with Dinosaurs put them on the map, and um, it was it was really exciting because I remember at the time basically there was a uh, one of the artists that I was working with, um, with the agency. He mm-hmm. had joined Framestore and. Actually, I got his job when he left, and he went to join Weta. He moved moved to New Zealand, and that's the that's the interview that I was the job that I was trying to fill when I when I joined Framestore. Right, cool. Well, we're going to get into all the big break stuff, and uh, we're going to definitely talk about dinosaurs more. I'm sure a bit of a dinosaur theme rather than an art department yeah. theme, maybe. Um, and Fern, great to have you on as co-host. I know you're very prepared, uh, and yet yeah, and background as a not just a photographer, but I heard literally about five minutes ago that you used to be, or maybe even are currently, a stand-up comedian. Is that um, <laughs> is that still a craft that you continue to hone? No, I did it once, so it's not. I've done the training but it was uh, mm. 
it's not uh, something I would want to pursue as such at the moment. Mm. Interesting. She's good at cracking jokes in the art department, that's for sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm so <laughs> glad we got you on the podcast now. I was going to make it uh, an extra few percent more hilarious no. than it usually is, and it's pretty hilarious normally. <laughs> Too much pressure now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Interestingly, because we, we touched on, uh, I know you attended our presentation skills mm. uh, workshop fairly recently, and uh, one of the things that I learned way back when I was at the mill is we brought in a stand-up comedian to teach us the art of presenting. And what he used to do, he used to run classes um for people who presented in quite formal settings mm. and he would teach them to be stand-up comedians so it'd be uh like a six-week kind of workshop in the back of a pub yeah he'd teach them to be stand-up comedians yeah. and then they would perform a gig at the end of the course and that gave them and that equipped them with the right skills to to be great presenters so uh yeah just a nice little kind of connection with the, the workshop yeah, yeah. that you attended fairly recently for. yeah i I did um, Logan Murray's uh, stand-up course at the Museum of Comedy, and okay. he trained quite a lot of like Greg Davies and Rod Gilbert. Wow. So he knows what he's talking about, but it is a whole different mindset, mm. and uh, it's quite good techniques with that as to how to channel your nerves and to calm yourself down. Yeah, but it's a lot of practice as well. I really admire stand-ups. Yeah. Oh God, me too. <laughs> me too. I'm a big fan. Well, uh, I might pick your brains later around that for uh, another <laughs> another part two to the presentation skills training. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about <laughs> the art department. And uh, my question quickly to you, Fern, is uh, as production manager within the art department, you know, what is your role? I mean, I kind of flippantly said, you know, Fern's the backbone of the department. But, you know, you you come to all the meetings that I'm in when we talk about various projects that we're working on. And I always get a sense that you're a, a big a, a driving force in the team. But I'd love to know more about actually what it is, what it is you do. That's a good question. Uh, I guess I'd <laughs> cover a lot of roles because there's only two of us in production for the art department. So mm. we cover everything, really. So Jenny looks after more of the financial side and then I do a lot of the checking on projects and the team mm. and then lots of filing, which annoys Martin because I like to hide a lot of things that he can't find <laughs> very quickly. Um, and we do dailies. It's kind of just a bit of a everything role, I guess. Yeah. Attending client yeah. meetings, taking notes. You need it, don't you? You need that kind of like glue in a team, like like any creative team, right? Because everybody's got their specific roles, and you need that one role that kind of almost helicopters over. Yeah, the a whole bit. Uh, the whole thing. I think I've been there so long as well that you've become part of the furniture, the yeah. fern furniture. So it's, ah, it's, see, <laughs> already the comedy's begun. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Um, that's cool, and and in the team, because again, I mean, in the uh, in the, the the preamble that uh, will go out um, on, you know, when we launch the podcast, it'll. All, it, you know, I want this to be a bit about lifting the lid on the art department, because you know, nobody knows about the art department and the amazing work that comes out of it. But in terms of what the team looks like, I mean, how many how many people are in the art department right now you know, in terms of artists and team members? Well, it's it's kind of fluctuated over the years. It's kind mm. of on average, it's sort of six, seven artists. Um, it's on. on so pre-COVID, it was up to sort of 12. Um, mm. So it kind of fluctuates like that. Um, so it's not a huge team. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really kind of, um, they're, they're all really talented artists and they, they all have a lot of strengths that they back each other up yeah. when it comes to working on projects. Yeah, and, and the presence is definitely felt as well. I mean, everywhere I go in the building, particularly in Chancery Lane, there are those amazing books that are on every coffee table with all that incredible artwork. And there's, 
you know the, the the pieces on the wall and you know they're they're everywhere right it's kind of almost kind of like like a lifeblood of the building is that amazing concept art and what i love about all of the work that, that your team does is you know you know we get to see the amazing work that that have led to the incredible shows that we've worked on but also you know in many ways the the shows that maybe we didn't get to work on but we've still got that incredible artwork to kind of show for it if that makes sense you're still part of that that pipe that's something that actually we're really lucky um the position we're in because we're we're obviously we're part with frames george art department but at the same time we kind of work independently as well so mm. we do work yeah. on projects that frames door might not necessarily do the visual effects for mm. yeah but it, it's all great for for frames door in general because it kind of shows everyone that that as a company we we want to help develop projects right from the very start yeah that's cool and we're in that lucky position to be there sometimes even before there's a script yeah that's so cool and what i love about doing this podcast is finding out more about departments that aren't just your typical vfx pipe kind of team members you know so for example we did the lab, the lab special with uh, jocelyn and johnny and and got to really understand that part of the business or all the work that frame store pictures do over in kind of in, in, in the states we spoke mm. to like michelle waxman about you know the amazing what she does and, and again they're almost kind of separate entities there's almost these, all these separate entities all over the the, the, the company which uh, i find fascinating you know love to see kind of like a what they call it a spider diagram a spidergram i don't know just seeing lots of lines and yeah could be kind of a, an interesting exercise to get into that is one of framestore's strengths is the fact that it's not just a visual effects company they do yeah. all sorts of things and i think that's why yeah. it's it's sort of st- stood strong over the years yeah definitely definitely but you know what we're getting into some solid material already and i don't wanna, don't want to waste it in the preamble so i think we get into the dailies we open we open the dailies we drop the dramatic sound effect that uh, everybody's got used to now from the from the gods and we get into the dailies what do you reckon are you feeling it are you in the zone good yeah are you good at fern are you waiting in the wings because you will be called on to ask questions at random yeah well i you not know what they are i'm paying attention i am listening. good good it's the only it's the way all my workshops are the same i run workshops where i say at the start this will be an interactive workshop and then we lose about 20 percent of the delegates to like no i was going to do other work bye so same on the podcast we don't want to lose the co-host so we're going to get into it we're going to drop the dramatic sound effect from on high And we are well and truly into the dailies. Now, I know we've established some of this already, Martin, but the first question is, who, where, what? Who are you? Which I think we know, but you're welcome to reiterate. Where are you? And what are you working on? But only if you're allowed to talk about it. So, yes, I am Martin McRae. Um, actually, my full name is Ian Alstead Martin McRae. Wow. Blame my parents for that. Um, they, they wanted to call me Martin, but my grandparents on both sides wanted to call me Ian or Alster. Wow. But they use that as third name so it's caused all sorts of problems all my life wow and is that from kind of uh, named after certain family members yes, or yes. yeah right okay yeah, yeah. part of the lineage but yeah please just call me martin sometimes um fern calls me ian just to annoy me <laughs> <laughs> should we should we have that on the podcast <laughs> no. we, it's, it's true <laughs> you heard it here first folks if you want to wind martin up <laughs> oh, uh, and yes i'm living in whetstone north london Cool. And boiling today, 30 degrees. Yeah, it is a very hot day today, isn't it? It is, yeah. I'm enjoying the air-conditioned uh, suites I'm in at the moment because it's pretty brutal out there. Yeah, air-conditioning here at home is just the back door is wide open. Yeah. Um, and working on currently, unfortunately, we can't give you the names of projects. Yeah, of course. It's unfortunately the nature of the department because it's so early on. Mm-hmm. But we can, I can say is that we're working on 
good character development for a very famous director currently. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a pitch package for another director to try and get a project greenlit for him. Nice. And then we're doing some uh, extra design work on a project that we've been doing for quite a while. So yeah, mixed work. We're doing some advertising stuff as well. That's nice. It must be. There must be really, as we said earlier, there must be a really nice variety of projects almost happening all at once in your team. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's been like that for years. Um, funny enough, uh, through COVID, the first year in COVID was probably one of the busiest years we ever had. Mm. Because it was um, at the time where they couldn't do any filming, so but they could develop the next projects that were coming up. Mm-hmm. So we were working on sort of 10, 12 different films at the same time. Wow. It was really busy. But on average, when, on, on a good, on a normal year, we're working on sort of sort of three to six projects at, at any, any one time. Wow. And uh, I mean, I know there's more to the art department than just concept art, but the concept art that comes out of your department is next level incredible i mean it's it's stuff you could put on your wall right i mean it's incredible artwork when i used to do concept art when i was a student it was just layout pads and a load of scribbles so what my question is how long does it take to turn around these amazing pieces that, that we do whether it's character development or the environments i mean i mean I, I imagine directors can be quite impatient and clients are quite impatient and artists, sorry, I'm just speaking because I'm kind of an artist myself. You know, I don't like to brag about it. But, um, you know, you've got to be in, as a creative, you've got to be in the mood, right? I mean, you can't, you can't, can't just turn on creativity unless you're doing it all the time. But I, I'd love to get that insight. No, absolutely. I'm going back to the artwork. It, it is amazing. I mean, it's down to the team. I mean, mm. basically, the art department is, is nothing without the artists. Of course. Um, we're so lucky to have some amazing artists with us. Mm. And it's... It's something that come to your question about how long it takes. <laughs> it's like how long is a piece of drink? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, no. On average, I mean, let's say you're doing a character design, um, you can probably knock out uh, first pass sketches within the first week, mm. um, and obviously depending on feedback from the director, maybe yeah. the client is different. But it, on average, it takes a few weeks to get something sort of going, something that's got a nice sense of character to its full color options Hmm. um environments that can be anything from a week to a year to be honest yeah (laughs) it depends on the project yeah true um obviously we'll we work with directors but a a, a large chunk of our work is with production designers Hmm. um so we kind of work like an extension of their team as well yeah um because obviously they have designers and, and uh, concept artists within their team on set but we kind of work sometimes on set with them um, and then but most of the time it's remotely with them mm-hmm. but again whether it's uh, a set design we're helping them with or it's a whole city for instance wow um that, that was the, the, the case with blade runner um yeah. but on average you spend on a project we're on it for a few months usually mm-hmm. um but it it does vary. I think that's one of the exciting things about it. It it literally every day changes. Yeah. And there's no kind of set rule mm. to how to think. The other thing that happens as well is you'll get someone who'll sign up a design and then you'll they'll come back and say, Oh, actually I've changed my mind and, and then you yeah. go back and forth, yeah. it's one of these things where the the artists and you especially when there's new artists that you're hiring, you try and sort of teach them to be patient and to understand the fact that they shouldn't take it personally if someone doesn't like that particular design. It's not about their work. It's about the design itself. So it's yeah. 
something that you, you learn as you go along. It, it's all, it's, it really varied. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, you're working on pitch packages at the moment, Martin. And yes. And one of my, again, a question or more of a comment is, you know, you're at the very, very first stage of almost creating the look of uh, a show. So you mentioned uh, Blade Runner. And obviously we've done, a few, I've, I've attended a few of your, your talks you've done for work experience and interns and stuff. Um, and see, and, and, and flip through the books. And that concept art that your team worked on, that informs what we, we see on screen, even before any previs is done, right? You know, you, you've, you've, yeah. what I'm trying to say here, it must be a really amazing feeling oh, it's a, it, it, to play that part in the pipeline. Because after that, they're using the concept art, because that's what wins the work, right? That inspires the director, right? Is, is that fair to say? I mean, I'm speaking from a very naive point of view because I'm not in those meetings, but. No, we do get that. I mean, I have to pinch myself. I want, gen, genuinely, I, I, I have to pinch myself and think, God, this is my job. That I'm, yeah. <laughs> I get yeah. to help them come up with ideas that goes into their, their movies. It's, mm. it's, it's fantastic. I mean, even sometimes we had a, an occasion a couple of years ago where a director, um, well-known director, I can't really talk, because he, he came to us about developing a film. Mm-hmm. And um, we basically, one of our artists, um, would spend a lot of time with them. We were just sort of doodling sketches ideas of characters, ideas of sequences, um, and basically did that chunk of work for a month or so. And then he, the director, sent all that to his scriptwriter, mm. and then they used that as the basis to kind of write ideas into the, the original script. So, yeah, we're, we're so lucky. It's nuts. It's nuts. I'm not saying it's an underappreciated art form, but, I mean, I just, it blows my mind that, you know, you both of you go about your days like, you know, normal human beings like we all do, but you've you've what's the word establish the look and feel for iconic cinema i mean i know it's more to your role than just cinema on the shows but iconic films like that blade runner show right i mean that's for the ages and your team create the look and feel for it because it is a highly visual film isn't it i mean every yeah, yeah. it's like a the dune movie like you could pause any moment in that movie and put it on your put it in a frame you know yeah. and i just think to be part of that i think is people part of that level of culture and art is just Amazing, amazing. I know it, it was it, for me. It was a dream project. It was because um, we we had previously worked with Denny. I mean, Framestore as a company previously worked with Denny on on uh, Arrival. Yeah, of course. And I and did a little bit of work on that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And then when we heard that he was doing Blade Runner, we basically we did. Um, and I decided to for us to do a whole bunch of artwork just for free, just to kind of send mm. to them, just to say, look guys we'd love to help you on this project yeah because i'm a huge blade runner fan yeah um and then they they said yes it'd be great for you to work on it and that was a brilliant example of um the whole company with the process of what we were doing because basically we helped the initial designs we did the concepts we both geometry but the main sequence we worked on was um the the vegas sequence building that city. Mm, yeah yeah um and we were blessed with some a couple of sketches that Sid Mead had done, um, who was the designer on the original Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. He had done a few sort of outline sketches of types of shapes that they wanted. And we took these sketches and then we started working with them and coming up with ideas of what the that, that look or the whole street look could look like. And then we did but we'd built the geometry, um, and then we used that geometry to paint the concepts on. And then when we they approved it. We sent all that geometry to the team in Montreal who were doing the final visual effects. So it was a real seamless process. Mm-hmm. But no, it was it was an absolute um, honor to work on that film. Cool. 
Oh, well, I'm sure it'll come up again, Martin. And I'm very aware we're nearly 25 minutes into the podcast and I haven't asked question two yet. So I'm going to ask it, which is, <laughs> no, this, is this is fascinating, honestly. I've been very, I'm very excited to have this, uh, have, have you on this podcast. Um, is, I mean, it's an obvious question. How long have you worked here? I know I kind of teased out kind of 23 years, but you know, what is the official tenure at Framestore for you, Martin? It is 23 years. <laughs> is it bang on? Pretty much. An anniversary it's coming up. 20, 23, I, I, I was hired on in two thousand in June, wow. two thousand. Um, so it's twenty three years and a couple of months. Wow, wow! And, and Fern, you've been here a good chunk of time as well, right? I mean, twenty sixteen. What what brought you in? Uh, yeah, I've been about seven years. Yeah, I just applied at Framestore because my yeah. friend told me about the job going, and then was lucky enough to get it. But I didn't know who Martin was when I joined, so. Yeah. I was just talking to him like a normal artist. And then <laughs> a couple of weeks in, they're like, that's head of department. Like, oh, <laughs> I've been bossing him around. <laughs> I didn't go walk around with a t shirt going H of D. Exactly. You're on the mug with uh, the boss on it, you know, <laughs> you know one of those yeah. archetypes. Good, good. Right. That's That, that was a quicker, uh, that was a quicker question for sure. But question three is an interesting one because we've t- touched on kind of, you know, tenure how where, how you started and we talked a bit at the start martin about how you you arrived at frame store but the, this next question is how did you get your break in the vfx industry and i'd like to take this from a different angle than just when i got the job you know when for you was the moment where you thought this is what i want to do this is the this one set this one meant to be doing before i before i joined frame store can be yeah um god it's a good question i think it was seeing films like when I saw, saw Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably, I mean, I, I know it's probably a cliche thing and a lot of people have probably said the same thing, but it was, I was always a fan of, of kind of sci-fi movies and, and anything that was sort of visually, visual spectacle. Mm. I, I, I was always a huge fan of films like um, Alien and Blade Runner, the original one. That's what yeah. really, when I was a kid, I was loved, and, but I didn't always love films and I didn't really know that how or what if I was going to get into it or not? I just mm. all day in the back of my mind that I was absolutely obsessed by them. Yeah. Um, and then it was only after doing years of art, normal art, and then kind of finding out different ways of actually using the skills that I had learned. I'm thinking, oh, there is a place for me somewhere in film. Yeah. So I think that was the kind of when the penny dropped. And then I think I mentioned earlier on about starting to try and I basically taught self-taught. And I think some of the older generation of guys running up at my age quite a few people were self-taught as well yeah and i think that's that just spurred me on and i was just obsessed by that point yeah it's great to find your place in the world as a as an illustrator as an artist because back then it was quite i mean i i came up in the late 90s and i was a freelance illustrator but trying to find work as a as a traditional artist, I found, I mean, I mentioned it in my town hall I did when I first started at Frame Store, I found it really hard, you know, to find work just drawing. I mean, I used to talk about, when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, it was always, you know, I just wanted to draw pictures for a living. And that's what I wanted to do, just draw pictures for a living. And to find, I know it's deeper than that in, in your department, but finding that in, I think, uh, must have been a, quite a moment for you. Yeah, it was. And I was I was actually lucky because um, after I finished um, uh, doing an illustration course before I came to London. Yeah. Someone, someone advised me saying you should try and get an agent. That was the, the, the one thing. If you want to survive as, a, as an artist, get an agent. Mm. And I was lucky. On, uh, I basically came down down to London, totally naive, didn't know the place, didn't know what I was doing with a portfolio yeah. in my hand and yeah. a list of addresses to go to. 
yeah. of agents. And I just literally, genuinely, literally just went and knocked on door yeah. with my portfolio. And day two, um, uh, an agency folio hard um, took me on. Wow. I was there for 10 years. Oh, yeah. And that's when you were doing the work with publishing and yes. all yeah, the kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Cool. Uh, well, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear more about the kind of work you did, you know, for Coca Cola and, and BP. I mean, have you, have you worked on anything iconic that people would have seen back in the day? Probably not. I mean, a lot of it was sort of on the side of buses and sort yeah. of uh, sort of on bus stops. You get the posters, and you know, and sometimes yeah, yeah. do billboard um, posters as well. Um, but no, it was it was a lot of varied work. Do you remember the first piece you did? The first piece of artwork that you saw on a billboard or on a bus? A bus uh, shelter. Oh God, that's a good question. Rentry's fruit pastels. Ah. <laughs> that was the first one. You see a big fruit pastel packet on the side of a bus. Wow, is it all pure illustration? Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, I I used to paint with acrylic, so the whole thing um, started off just painting. Um, to start off with, I, I did a big campaign for BP once. I remember I had to do Noah's Ark, mm-hmm. stuck on a rock in the middle of the ocean. Nice. And I remember. Uh, doing this painting, I think I spent about a week doing the painting, and I remember taking it into the ad agency, and then the the, um, the boss there, the art buyer, sort of put it, put it on this sort of stand behind his desk, and stood there. I stood there. It must have been at least fifteen minutes. He didn't say a word. Wow. I was going, oh, no, he hates it, he hates it. <laughs> and then he he went, yeah, it's done, great. Wow. Um, but yeah, back then it was all hand painted because if they didn't want something and they wanted changes, you'd literally go have to repaint it. Yeah, start again. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember um, when Photoshop came out and we started using it, I started straight away. I went over to Photoshop thinking, oh, God, this is going to save me so much time. Wow. I used to remember doing sort of product um, illustrations and you do like a, a backdrop, you know, like you get a, in a photography studio, you get a kind of graduation backdrop. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. used to hand paint it with a big, massive sort of six inch brush. Wow. And then, oh, and then eventually you learn how to do it with an airbrush. But then in Photoshop, two clicks and you were done like that. Just game changer. Yeah. So, well, okay, that's it. I'm using Photoshop. The amount of change you must have seen in this this century in your role, you know, all the way through to what's yeah. going on with AI now and all the, all, yeah. all the shifts, even down to like Google back in the day and just getting reference material. Well, actually, what got me out of illustration or what made me think I've got to get, because I started using computers back then and I thought, okay, I've got to go with this or I'm going to become a dinosaur myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it reached a certain point because all the style of work I used to do was quite photographic. Mm-hmm. Um, and because Photoshop came along, I noticed some of the work that I used to do started dropping off because people were using photographs and doing things in Photoshop instead. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, hmm, I think I need to change career here. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the, the, the incentives to actually get into visual effects as well. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Right. We'll pause that there. I want to go back to that. But uh, Fern, I want to hear about your big break. What do you consider to be the moment that you felt, you know, you felt this is, this is where I'm meant to be, you know, rather than just the, the application. Uh, I tried to get into practical effects and I wanted to be a pyrotechnician at one point and then I did um, prosthetics at university and as I left the industry collapsed so that kind of scuppered that Um, and then I worked in a perfume factory and then I worked at ITV selling commercial space in adverts. Oh wow. And that was really boring so I went travelling and then when I came back I couldn't get a job. So then I retrained as a compositor at Escape and I, we went for a tour at Peerless Camera Company. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was uh, blanking on the Monty Python director. Oh, Ter- Terry Gilliam? Terry Gilliam, yeah. Terry Gilliam. yeah. Nice. It's one of his companies. And then 
We went around there. And I was like, oh, this felt so cool. And uh, a runner's job came up there. So I went for that, got that. And then was a runner for quite a while. And then because it was a small company, it got moved up quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, the job of frame store came up. But I don't, you know, probably controversial say, I don't know if this is where I belong, but I like yeah. the team feels like a family, yeah. but you're not supposed to say that at work, are you? Because that's... Apparently, everybody says it on the podcast, oh, so good. you're right. You're <laughs> but it, you know, it's, a, it's a nice team, but then it's not that creative. Yeah. So it's almost, so Martin and Jenny let me mess about on Photoshop. Oh, cool. Do things. Yeah. But, you know, you think, I don't, I've not reached Martin's level yet where, like, yeah, this is, I'm a pro. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not designing dinosaur skin just yet. No. You'll get there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Awesome. Well, actually, you've touched on the family piece because this is—that's the answer I get to the next question all the time, which is, uh, "What's the best thing about being part of Framestore?" So, uh, Martin, what is the best thing? I mean, twenty odd years at Framestore. What keeps you uh, here? Well, you said the magic word. I know it's so easy, and I'd be, people are going, "Oh God, not another one saying that." But it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what's kept me here all these years. Yeah. There's just something about Framestore that um, it's it they treat you with respect, and it's a very personal um, feeling you get. Mm-hmm. People do genuinely care. Uh, I know. I know. It's so, I'm sorry. It sounds cheesy, but it's it's one of these things where it, it makes this company stand out. Everything is personal. Mm-hmm. If there's issues that you have in your life, they support you 100. Yeah. Um, it's they treat you like a, a, a human being you get treated the way you'd want to get treated yourself. And I think that's yeah. the thing that, that makes this company stand out. Apart from obviously the amazing work that everyone does, but it, it's, it's done with care. And I think that's the thing that stands out for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fine. And, and yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be apologetic about it. It is what everybody says and, and rightly so. It is the people. It is the, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, Fern, when you first met Martin, you thought it was another artist <laughs> probably because most, most people in leadership roles here are very humble, very approachable. Um, I mean, that's what I've picked up in my short time here. And mm. uh, yeah, it uh, definitely uh, marries up with every other answer we get on the podcast. <laughs> uh, and do you have anything to the contrary, Fern, or are you going to uh, fall in line with all of our answers as well? No, I, I agree. And uh, I'm quite impressed, especially with Frame still having a lot of female leaders as well. That's yeah. quite a positive, especially for a male-dominated industry. That's very true. And um, yeah, it's... The, the art department gang is pretty fun. So Yeah, nice to be connected to a good team. And like you say, it's, all, it's always great to work with a great bunch of people, but it's also an added bonus when, you know, the work that comes out of that team is so, you know, so excellent, just 100% just best-in-class work, you know. Yeah. It's almost like this two, they go hand-in-hand, hand, don't they? Yeah. Love it. Right. So we're going to get into the meaty questions now. So we've, we've got to know each other. We've got to know, you know, we've done all the kind of uh, – you know, historics and big breaks. Um, this is kind of like the geeky question, really, is uh, if you could recommend one show that truly showcases Framestore at its best, or project, it could be a project, uh, what would it be? So it's kind of like the project you'd show to an alien to go, this is what we do. God. It's a good one, isn't it? It's a good question. It's another good one. Is there one project? God, there's a million I mean, of them. It's tough, isn't it? It's like picking favourite children. It's a, it's a tough one. If you have to nail it down to one project... Oh God! Um, pretty sure those answers come up a million times. I'd have to say gravity. Gravity, yeah. For the reason being, um, obviously, because Framestore isn't really known for uh, its character animation. 
especially mm -hmm. how, how amazing the, the quality is and how much feeling they put into it. So things like Paddington and, you know, Guardians characters, all these different projects that they've done, it looks amazing. But if you want to encompass everything into one, I think the efforts that was put into Gravity, like the inventive nature of what they designed to make it work, uh, just the creativity around the, the look of everything, and just the tech and on technical brilliance as well. I think. Yeah, all these different aspects that Framestore are are amazing at doing. I think that all just sort of like the planets aligned and and mm. the result was um, gravity. I think that would be the one for me. Yeah, it is a textbook yeah. Framestore show, isn't it? And you're right. Every, uh, people typically go towards the creature work and the character work, and and rightly so. Yeah. But there's something about gravity. It's this perfect kind of feature film it's a one-off you know there was no sequels you know it's kind of this this perfect kind of story um and a spectacle as well i mean shamefully i watched it on the plane <laughs> well it was when my son was first born so i wasn't really going to the cinema uh and i was working at the mill um and i was traveling and i watched it on one of those really crap i mean tim, tim weber would be you know squirming but um <laughs> it was one of those like awful screens that kind of that you kind of lifted i was on the front row so you had to like lift it up and twist it around and it was all like it was an old flight old flight old plane so the screen was a bit yellowy and i mean it was just the worst conditions to watch gravity in as first time i saw it i watched the whole thing i enjoyed it have you seen it on the big screen since i've not i've not i've um i've added it to my favorites on uh on the one of the streamers that I probably shouldn't mention their names because, you know, lots of streamers are available and we're not getting sponsored by them yet. Um, so I've got a big telly, so I might watch it on my big telly, but I've not seen it in a cinema, which uh, is, is shameful. It is absolutely shameful as a member of the Framestore community. Maybe they, are, they should do a screening in, in the in the building. I think so, just for me, just like a private yeah. screening. <laughs> <laughs> Massive bag of popcorn. Excellent, brilliant. Let's do it. I'm here for that. <laughs> Um, what about you, Fern? What would you throw in as a as a, a signature frame store show? I don't, I don't know. I'd probably challenge in Jenny a bit where I'd say Paddington are pretty incredible because they're so mm -hmm. heartwarming and sweet and he's such a iconic character now. And just yeah, yeah, frame store did great on it. So, but anything we do, let's be honest, anything frame store does is pretty awesome. So. It is nuts, isn't it? I mean, I, I not long watched um, Guardians three, and mm -hmm. uh, again, just such such a great yeah for a kind of you know big dumb Marvel movie. It's so heartfelt and beautifully mm -hmm. done. Yeah. It takes me back to when I first saw the. There's that reel that we have uh, in it's in Mike McGee's um, history talk, which is like the emo the emotion reel. It's almost all these creatures that have been built from a literal blank piece of paper all kind of you know with little side glances or they might be welling up a bit or it might be a tear or a little kind of raised eyebrow with this uh cinematic orchestra track playing yeah. over the top it's, it's a tough watch you know? i was gonna say you've got to be a bit soreless not to have a bit of welling up in your eyes when you watch that yeah, exactly when dobby's uh you know checking <laughs> oh, out you God. know you've got to have a heart of stone right yeah got to have a heart of stone <laughs> Yeesh. all right good great great answers both thank you for leaning into that so so wonderfully um so getting into kind of the really quite thought-provoking questions next then martin which is uh, what is a common myth about your your job your role or your field of expertise what do people get wrong what do people assume oh god i think i think one of them is the fact that they don't realize how early on in the process we we yeah. we, we are and we are involved mm. in. i think that's one thing I mean, outside of Framestore, obviously, people might think that if they don't know us, that, oh, okay, you're a visual effects 
art department, then you're just working on visual effects films. I think that's yeah, one thing yeah. that is the automatic, and it's you know it's understandable why they would think that. But I think that's the one thing I would say is that we are, like I said before, you know, even when there's no script, we get involved. And I think that's the yeah. one thing that people don't understand or don't realize what we what we do. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's not just the shows. It's not just the big. Yeah, you know the big screen stuff. It's a whole. I mean, obviously, we do. We 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 work on that as well. Um, when when help when help is needed. But um, yeah, I think that would be my one thing to say there. Good, good answer. Fern, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, the time timing and how we fit into the pipeline overall, mm. and how much design we do. I think that's mm. often overlooked. Yeah. General like um, Jingle Jangle was a good example those characters where our team came up with don juan and a bit of buddy Buddy, yeah we did a version of him don juan was great yeah no we were working with the director on that was fantastic Mm. and the the brilliant thing was um to get uh designs approved he would say i've got to go and ask my son about this (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think his son was about eight at the time (laughs) and he was quick so he had to get royal approval from his son to make sure the audience was okay Mm. (laughs) yeah brilliant but yeah, no, it's a good point, Frank. Yeah, little focus group there. That's brilliant. Yeah, great answers. Um, so what's uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned over your career, Martin? Again, you've been in the game a while now. You know, what's the one thing you've you've taken with you that you still apply to this day? Um, I think being open minded. Okay. Um, okay. patience is a huge thing. Hmm. I think you've got to be learned to be really patient in this job. <laughs> I think with anything to do with this industry. Yeah. As we all know, we get extremely frustrated clients sometimes when they're up against deadlines and they make irrational decisions or they make stressful decisions mm. and change their mind a lot. I think you've got to ride the wave and just run with them. Yeah. Because you've got to understand the pressures that they're under. And I think that's one thing. It's just an understanding of the whole process. Yeah. I think the more you understand about what makes goes into making a film i think the 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 easier it is for you to actually learn how to adapt your work because you know because then you know which part of of the filmmaking process you're in mm. you actually just give it all give it everything because you, yeah. you you understand the reasons why these decisions have been made so i think yeah understanding and patience i think these probably are two things that keep down the blood pressure yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, it's come up on the the pod a few times around, um, you know, the uniqueness of our industry because you've got so many different walks of life thrown together. I mean, just the whole, you mentioned earlier about, you know, not taking it personally. If somebody says, can you change that, can you tweak that? It's not quite right. And Mm. when you're kind of explaining that to creatives, it's a really hard thing to get your head around, isn't it? It's really, that's your, you've slaved over that. I mean, again, we've talked about the beauty and the, the majesty of, of the work that comes out of your department. I mean, we've talked yeah. about it on with compositors talking about the shots they've worked on as well. And yeah, you know, it, it was on the Maverick episode. We spoke to the two compers and Montreal worked on it and they worked on this particular shot and then it just wasn't in the film. <laughs> I didn't even get told. It's like, God, it's heartbreaking. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. months and months of your life. Um, yeah. That, that was one thing that, you, that you've got to get used to the fact that sometimes you'd work on something for a long time and it just doesn't get used. Yeah. And it's, you, it's, <laughs> it could be so destroying because, I spent months and months doing this thing. Yeah. Why the hell is it not on the screen? But again, you, you, if you put yourself in the client's shoes and mm. try and figure out, well, why did they make that decision? And then you, you understand the process. Then yeah. you, you think, well, that's just part of the job. 
yeah yeah particularly you've got on one side you've got art your traditional artists vfx artists then you've kind of got the production teams who are all project managers and they've got to get something out of the door yeah. then you've got the clients who are essentially running business and deliverables and just this that whole like melting pot of different approaches to life in general and, and, yeah. and i think it's amazing um, but must be challenging to add to that because i think it's just not just one thing i think the team around you yeah and relying on the team around you and getting support from the team around you is absolutely vital mm-hmm. some people come into this industry and it's obviously they want to make a, a stamp their own thing and, and yeah. impress people but it can be very sort of uh isolating in a certain respect where you oh i've got to do well i've got to really do well yeah but if you actually learn when you learn from the people around you and you, and you realize that everyone's you're all, we're all in this together sort of thing mm-hmm. um it, it again it takes the pressure off you yeah so again yeah. opening your eyes to obviously that what the client how the client makes their decisions and trying to understand that but also learning from your your, your artists and the team around you because you're there to help each other get through all this yeah um and you can spur ideas off each other i think that's the key, the key thing that you don't have to look far for inspiration because you're kind of sitting around it. Yeah. And how does that how does that manifest itself in your team? Because I imagine there's a hybrid model where, you know, the, you know, the team aren't all sitting together. So how do you, uh, I mean, obviously you have dailies, but how do you foster that spirit of, you know, team? Particularly it's quite a small team as well and making sure they're supported and learning together. Um, I think you just have lots of open dialogue. Mm. Um and not try to have a go into a conversation with a preconceived idea of how it's going to come turn out. Yeah. Obviously, you might have an idea of where you think things might go, mm-hmm. but the key is to let give the artist breathing space to be able to manifest an idea or bash things out and try things out. That's the key. Yeah. Because the minute you start sort of dictating too much what people should and shouldn't be doing, you start killing off the creativity. Agreed. Yeah. The tap that literally you can almost sometimes see in their eyes, the tap turns off. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, I think part of my main job is literally just to give them as much free reign to be able to mm. go anywhere with their ideas. I think that's where you get the best. Oh God, yeah, huge. Yeah, you've got to. Yeah, it's literally got to be a blank canvas, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's across the board. You need to give the artist space to be able to be artist. Try out <laughs> exactly. Right? That's why they go into this in the first place. Yeah, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Like you can't be a dict- dictatorial about art. You can't go. It must be this, and it must be that, and it must be this, you know, palette or whatever. You know, it's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Such good advice. Such good advice. Um, I've got my next question is for both of you. Um, I'm always very interested, as you know. I, you know, we launched the mentoring program last year. Big, big believer in the, the power of mentoring. Uh, so, who has been your most important professional mentor, Martin? I know you threw a, new, a few names earlier in the pod, but you know, who do you have a somebody who you would cite as a, someone you learned a lot from? Coming into this industry, uh, I have to say it was Mike Milne. Mm-hmm. He was kind of spearheading the walking with dinosaurs and the walking with beasts. Mm. He um, he kind of taught me. The main thing I got from Mike was he was very respectful. Um, he gave me space, and I, I learned a lot of that from him. Mm. And he he kind of taught you how to be inventful with limitations. And there was obviously because back in these days the the, the budgets were a lot more limited, especially yeah. for something like the Walking with Series, because it was a BBC series and they didn't yeah. have massive budgets. And they they were kind of learning as they were going along as well. Mm-hmm. But he kind of taught me to kind of within limitations of what the tools we had to try and 
come up with inventive ways of getting a, a good result. So I think for me, um, Mac was a huge influence when I first joined Framestore. Yeah, no, great, a great example. Thank you. And yeah, like you say, just to be taught that at the outset of your your career. I mean, what a foundation, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was great. That's awesome. What about you, Fern? Do you have anybody you cite as a an important professional mentor? Uh, more recently, I think it's going to sound really creeping, but um, Jenny, our oh, yeah. exec producer, yeah, she's amazing. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've not worked to someone who can be in that role and lead and stay patient and happy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and she puts up with a lot. So I think Jenny's been great to work with and because she's come from a different background she's talking about how she can approach things from a different angle and it's she's Mm. always full of good advice and obviously martin but i don't want to tell him that because he's there (laughs) martin you're amazing yeah exactly that would have been really creepy (laughs) yeah he knows (laughs) (laughs) and uh the guys uh dan baker jonathan opgenhafen and sam rowan in our team because they're quite long term and i think uh we're all of a similar age so you kind of you know you're growing up you realize that you don't have as much of an ego anymore because your soul's been crushed as you get older (laughs) (laughs) that's cool yeah it's quite a tight group in the art department like that a mini ecosystem of mentor reciprocal mentoring going on there i love it yeah and everyone will you know if you're getting too uh introverted or stuck in your head Mm -hmm you'll get snapped out of it pretty quick so i think getting through covid yeah um it's really showed how strong our team was yeah huge no some great names there and yeah i mean Je- yeah jenny's great yeah big uh, big fan and you know she'll always drop me a note out of the blue with a, a random <laughs> joke or you know some kind of yeah <laughs> some follow-up but very you know she's all yeah she's very impressive so yeah yeah lucky to have her as a as a mentor for sure yeah yeah, yeah, really huge. yeah. when jenny joined us it was uh it was literally, it was about a year before we actually saw it in person. Wow. Yeah. COVID. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, we were very lucky that she joined our team. But Annette gets the kudos for that, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. found her. Props to Annette. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. So, uh, we've gone from kind of uh, bigging up and, uh, you know, raising up our mentors to looking at kind of underrated tools. And again, it's one of my favorite questions, this one is what is an underrated tool? that you consider indispensable to get the job done, Martin? Yeah, definitely. It's pen and paper. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> it's literally, without all the, the technical jargon of software and yeah. Blender and Photoshop and all these different things that people use in the art department, the best thing to get an idea, the quickest way to get it out, is literally doodle on a bit of paper. Yeah. Whether on the edge of a magazine or whatever it is. Yeah, I love it's that. It's indispensable. We you know, in meetings with clients or whatever, you know. Yeah. Everyone just grabs a piece of pen, a piece of paper and a pen, and just literally just doodle out some sort of weird scribble. Yeah. But that's in, that's indispensable. So I'd say, yeah. I love that. I, I agree. I've tried every uh, app, every. Um, you know, tablet thing where you can kind of, and I just go back to pen and paper, even like uh, I did for years, I've been trying playing around in Procreate, but I've, I've gone oh, back yeah. to buying, buying sketchbooks again, just because I love yeah. that 
resistance against the paper with a pencil and you know all of that you know i think it's so huge did i tell you i got i got laughed at at the vfx festival i, I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast so for, forgive me listeners if you've uh, heard this before um but i chaired a careers panel at last year's vfx festival and i always push the access vfx mentoring program at the end of it so at the end of the the chairing the panel i said to everybody get your pens out and they all just laughed at me like i was an absolute dinosaur you know, because they're all kind of phones and, you know, tech. But I'm like, you know, just get your pens out, write down the URL. But, yeah, felt like an absolute oh. granddad at that point. When the apocalypse comes, Simon, who'll be laughing then? Sally Penn. And I'll be there with my pencil case. <laughs> be like cigarettes in prison. Do you want a pencil? Yeah. What you need? What you need? Uh, brilliant. Uh, what about you, Fern? What do you consider to be a uh, an, an indispensable, underrated tool, aside from a pen and paper? Well, yeah, hold on to your socks. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Strap yourself shared, in, people. Shared documents. Hello? <laughs> shared documents. And uh, this also sounds creepy, but having data, a data team, has been <laughs> really valuable in my job. Okay. Because when you get really stuck, you're like, I need help. They can generally get everything I need. So, yeah, shared documents on the Google Drive. So Jenny and I can, our work doesn't get interrupted through. Yeah not been in the office so yeah i must admit i've never used uh I mean, in previous roles i've never used google before so and at framestore obviously it's all google suite yeah. and mm. uh yeah i've never used google docs as much but yeah i have no regrets it's brilliant yeah, yeah it's not an exciting tool hey, but if they're if they're listening and they want to sponsor the podcast, i'm always looking for a sponsor for the podcast right so you yeah. know if google want to kind of hook us up with uh some fun <laughs> I mean, how exciting is a pen on paper <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Cutting it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Right, okay. We're getting into because we do have a lot of uh, aspiring folk uh, listening to the podcast, both within Framestore and external to Framestore. So we've got a really rich audience of people who are in the early outset of their careers. Um, but what's what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone considering uh, starting out in your field, Martin? Would you have a piece of a golden nugget of career advice? Practice practice and practice <laughs> i've said this a few times before the, the three pillars Francis going, oh god he's saying that again <laughs> um but no yeah it's you're not going to get instant results um mm. especially with sort of modern life nowadays everyone's got kind of the google generation where you know everything is happens quick and fast if you want to get good at this this kind of style of work you literally if you've got a passion just keep practicing you will get better let that sort of drive drive you forward so yeah i would just say yeah. keep at it and keep doing it because everyone reaches a point where you have that thing of oh god i'm crap i can't do this yeah, yeah. just keep practicing i've seen artists sort of go from mediocre kind of concept artists to rock stars i mean it, it happens yeah, you do the work. it's yeah. you just got to get practiced and yeah keep at it yeah I agree. It's funny. I was, I've been re, kind of going through some old podcast material on it, working on a separate project and on a few, few clicks back on this podcast, I was reading a book on mindset and I kept banging on about growth versus fixed mindset. And the whole thing about fixed mindset is exactly as you say, Martin, it is the, I couldn't possibly do that. And people look at the work we do. I mean, yeah, again, it's intimidating. I mean, I look at, I flick through the concept art books on all the coffee tables at Framestorm and go, oh my God, that is nuts. I could never get to that. Yeah. But that's fixed mindset speaking. That is kind of limiting beliefs. And actually, like you say, if you just do it, it's like anything. You can Anybody can be an artist, learn to play the piano. I always say talent is overrated because it's more about just doing the work and, and, yeah. and wanting to do it. And if you, you put in the hours of practice totally. daily, you're going to, whether it's playing the guitar, playing the drums or 
or, or, or being a, becoming a, a, an accomplished artist, you know. Because I, I remember I remember sitting in in um, a hallway um, with my portfolio, left school, trying to get um, into a college. I remember sitting there waiting for my, my appointment and I was looking on the wall and there was all these framed, framed uh, artwork on the wall of students' work in, mm. in, the, in the college. And I was going, bloody hell, there's no way I can paint as good as this. And I was thinking, right, that's it. This is going to be a disaster. They're going to go, thanks, but yeah, next. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's very intimidating when you, you, you mm. see that quality and you think, oh, God, I can't reach that. But yeah. It's it's that little thick voice in your head that you just have to ignore and go like, mm-hmm. no, I want to do this. I'm going to try and yeah. just keep keep at it. Keep beavering away. That's, good. That's great advice. Uh, practice, practice, practice. The three covenants of uh, <laughs> of the art department. Now, what about you, Fern? What's a great piece of career advice for anybody trying to break in? Uh, well, can't dispute what Martin said, but also not comparing yourself. Yeah, because yeah. oh, yeah. that does that is the killer, isn't it? When as soon as you start self-editing or yeah that monitoring yourself talk is a challenging thing isn't it yeah and it can grind you down a bit yeah. especially if you're not confident in that anyway mm-hmm. and then it stops you perhaps approaching like the art department for advice yeah you know we're always open to talking to people but some people are like, oh i'm not good enough it doesn't matter yeah Sometimes you've got to ask, haven't you? I mean, there's the power of the power of curiosity and the power of asking. I think it was uh, Raphael Weiss on one of her podcasts, the producer in Montreal, talked about the power the power of the question mark, which I love. It's like a great, mm. great quote. Um, but it's the power of asking. I mean, it's like I ask so many people to come on this podcast, and thank you for saying yes, by the way. But you know, I'm trying to get Michael Eames on the podcast, but he just didn't want to do it. I will get him on mm. one day. If he's listening, I know he does listen to the podcast, but again, it's like, I, I'll still ask, you know, you, you can only get a no, right? So yeah. it's the same with that, with that anything. Um, you, you've just got to you know, put it out there. If it's a no, you move on to the next one. And that's, that's, yeah. that's life, isn't it? And the same with careers, it's put yourself out there. We talk about it on so many panels, you know, there's so many ways to get on people's radar now, um, rather than just kind of knocking doors. Yeah. That sounds like quite aggressive. So like knocking doors. I know. Oh, <laughs> kicking doors. Kicking doors down. Yeah. yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your portfolio and a baseball bat. Just think that nowadays there's so many more people doing things and there's more ways to sort of get lost in the mix. But at the mm. same time, you've got more opportunities to be able to actually show your work. So, oh my, totally. Don't listen too much on social media. Yeah. Kill off. Or use social media for good, like you, know, you create an art account, create a yeah. you know uh, an art station, or use TikTok for you know creativity rather than just you know dance videos. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, I've seen your your work. <laughs> Stick to composing and uh, an illustration. Uh, all right, cool, good stuff, great, great advice. Um, okay, we move. I always say all these questions. All these questions are my babies, and I love this question, which is, "What's one question, Martin, you wish I'd asked you, and how would you have answered it?" Haven't a clue. I can think of a million questions. I'm glad you didn't ask. <laughs> do, do you wish I'd asked you about your composing? Because I'm very interested to hear more about your music. Because honestly, I'm not just saying that. And I said it at the start. I, I, while I was kind of writing that very long intro, I was listening to the playlist you've got on your your website. And it's great. It's super dramatic. It's wicked. Honestly, I feel I should have it in my ears when I'm walking about and soundtracking my life like I'm in a Mission Impossible film or something. But it sounds great. It's amazing work. What, how, what's your, do you still compose? Do you have time to compose now? Do you, is it something that's an ongoing passion? It's, it's, oh God, I wish. I'm slightly embarrassed you actually listened to it. I was like, God, he's actually listened to it? Someone's- I'm, a, I'm a completist. I go deep on the research. 
No, it's it's something that's been there all my life because it, it was really earlier on. I was I was thinking of going that direction, mm. music wise. Um, so it's always been something that I've always done, loved. Um, so I used to play in rock bands and all sorts when I was younger. Okay, anybody I'd know? No. Any any signed acts? No, no, nothing, nothing famous. Just um, lots of local. Well, up in Scotland, there was lots of local, nice. local bands I was playing in. So I was always actually really into it. And then I just got into the composing thing years later. Mm playing um because i play all sorts of different instruments but i always wanted to because my again fascination fascination with with films um i always wanted to do that kind of thing and obviously yeah i've got a day job but <laughs> but i just when i get the time um in a in an in a ideal world i have time to be able to do that and this but it's it's <laughs> it's almost impossible yeah fair enough so uh fern do you have a question that you wish i'd asked you not no. I know you've got loads of questions that you're going to ask Martin in part two, so I don't want you to give away any of your dynamite. <laughs> not really. Not that interesting. But if you'd asked <laughs> me about my dogs, I would have uh, just not shut up. Ah, I'm right, okay. I, I could drone on for a good few hours. I'm, I'm scared to ask you about your dogs now. But I should ask you about. <laughs> I should ask you about your, your 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 stunt. I mean, do you still apply your the the, the craft of stand up comedy into your your daily work and life? a little bit I've lost a lot because you have to practice and there's lots of rules about how to form jokes and I've forgotten that and storytelling I've forgotten that but the um I did improv for a few years which that's silly um but there's a lot of techniques of how to calm yourself down so you know when if you're feeling anxious especially in a big client call yeah that pretending to look confident I find quite helpful. Oh, okay. What's, what's your trick to looking confident? Well, if you're in person, it's doing that, um, the power stand, where oh, it's hands yeah. on hips okay. and you know, strong legs. The Amy Cuddy thing, your, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and if you open your arms up really wide for a little bit, it helps to calm you down. Okay. Or, which you're not supposed to do, have a beer before a show, but you can't do that. Depends what time you've got the, the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you've got an early an early nine o'clocker, might not. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> no, it's not, not going to go down well. Issues. Cool, <laughs> good, good, good. Thank you both. Um, so mo- we're moving into the end of this part of the episode now. So my next question is, who would you like to hear from on the podcast and why? Who should I be uh, kicking doors down with to get them on the pod? That's a good one. There's probably a few people. I'm going to say Alison Turner, ah, one of the founders of the company. Oh, nice. nice. It's a good call. Alison is such a lovely lady and she's she quietly just gets on with things. And I think a lot of people don't know much about how she got into Yeah. You know, how you know, the whole history of her with Framestore. Yes, yeah, like interesting you. one to, to listen to. So I would say Alison. Sorry, Alison. All right, Alison. Excellent. I'll check if she listens, but if not, I'll give her a knock. I don't sit too far away from her. Brilliant. Thanks, Martin. What about you, Fern? Anyone you'd like to hear from on the podcast? Yeah, some of the bidding team would be interesting. Okay. Because they work really hard, so... Yeah, okay. Um, mm, we don't often see them. I'll go sniffing so. around the bidding team for, for podcast guests. Excellent. Yeah, like Maddie's good fun, yep. so... All right. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Thank you. Okay, well, we're moving into closing off this part of your episode now. So this is the reason why people stay to the end of the episode, because it's the culinary dish question, which we ask everyone. And if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, Martin, what would it be? God, I love food. How can I do one? <laughs> Has to be one. Don't try and hack it. We have people who hack it. I think we had, uh, I think 
Suzanne Yan- Jandu said like um, potatoes, I think, or did she say eggs? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'll let you do do what you want. Go. Oh God. Uh, okay. So, are there no health implications on this? No, no, no. This is kind of fantasy situation. So you're not going to kind of. There's no judgment. No, no, no. Eating it sort of after two months and your heart fails. <laughs> um, I'm going to say spaghetti carbonara. Oh. Oh, strong. It's a strong addition. I love it. I mean, I, I love all sorts of food. I, I, there's almost nothing that I don't eat, but that to me stands out. Spaghetti carbonara. Is there any way that does it really well, or is it more homemade? Actually, this sounds really pretentious and snobby, but um, Siena oh, in Italy was the best one I ever ate. <laughs> Anywhere on that, that part of the world. I mean, I've had, uh, we went to Sicily last year, and it's the greatest pizza and pasta that I've ever i've ever touched um amazing okay excellent that's in the canon what about you fern what could you exist on for the rest of your life i'm pretty basic i think uh chicken kiev Ooh, chicken kiev very 80s of you uh, yeah all the way bring it back it's all coming back though so. occasionally a kiev appears on my plate and i'm like oh it's a bit of a treat yeah, where have you been an 80s treat <laughs> a, bit nost- a bit of nostalgia there what could be nicer than a plate of chicken and and um, butter oh just all that swimming garlic i mean christ yeah. there's mm. so much garlic in the chicken kiev and it depends where you go yeah. and you get that hum don't really you posh. that is true but it's good it's yeah. worth it worth it brilliant all right final final question this was never part of the official dailies questions um it's a it's a, a tagged on one and you've got sergio gonzalez to thank uh, for this question from episode one which is uh while you're doing your deep work and talking of music we talked about composing um, we have a Framestore Spotify dailies playlist where we ask everybody for two tracks or one track that we can add to it. I listen to all sorts. Um, and half the time I, I, I listen to stuff that my daughter introduces me to. Okay. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, what you listen to now? What's, what's in your ear goggles as we speak? I, it fluctuates. Sometimes I, I won't listen to rock music for ages and months and, mm. and then I'll, I'll listen to nothing but rock music and then I'll go on to something else. So it's, it, it mixes constantly. I can't, I can't work and listen to music at the same time. Yeah. I don't think uh, doing Zoom calls and music Banging goes very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, two tracks. I'll give you two extremes. So rock one, I'll give you... Rival Sons, Ooh, song cool. called Open My Eyes. It's a Californian um, heavy rock band. Nice. And then uh, something my daughter introduced me to. It's a bit of kind of synth wavy type music. It's something called Starcadian. Mm. And it's a song called Interspace. There you go. Brilliant. Thank you very much. They will be front loaded on the, on the playlist when we release this episode. Two totally different kind of music. I love that. Eclectic. I do like Rival Sons as well. They're a good band. What about you, Fern? What have you got? Uh, I can't remember the names. I, I'm prepared with this, but there's one that's uh, it's an instrumental thing. Recently, I've been trying to find the most dramatic classical music because that's where the, I was at recently. Yeah, fair enough. Ping him over. G chat me. Speaking of Google. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 seamlessly bring part one of this episode to a close. Thank you both. That was super interesting. I could go on. We still haven't got into. Uh, uh, Martin meeting James Cameron with that I wanted to weave in when you worked on Avatar but perhaps Fern you can seamlessly weave that into uh, to part <laughs> two um, but yeah thank you both that was great we'll see you on Thursday for part two where Fern will take over the reins and interview Martin so uh, see you then absolute pleasure thank you thank you well that was part one join us for part two of the Framestore podcast this Thursday where Fern takes over proceedings as co-host and interviews Martin we'll see you then Oh,